Hey guys, this is Nadine. At the end of the episode, you'll hear me tell you to visit us on our private Facebook group, She's Not a Slut Yet. Well, that's no longer the name because I changed it and I added an Instagram. The new Facebook group name is Snazzy Podcast, which is spelled S-N-A-S-Y Podcast, and the Instagram page is the exact same thing. That's all the updates for now. I hope you all enjoy the episode and revisit us next week for our first movie. This is John. This is Dan. And this is She's Not a Slut Yet. Um, this week we're going to be going ahead and reviewing Solaris, which is John's pick. So, Dan, you start off with those box office stats. My box office stats are here. And uh, <laughs> being a, a Soviet film from the 70s, this movie does not have much info. It, I think it was pretty much only released in Russia. It seems like from everything I've read that it was a very limited release. But because of the extension everywhere actually and it was literally impossible to find anything online for it i mean they re-released it i think in 2002 but they made a whole new movie in 2002 it's not even the same yeah yeah so most of the most of the film we got is all was all just on the 2002 film is is george clooney in that yeah yeah so we're we're worried about that movie but this movie is highly acclaimed um it has was nominated for gordon school for best science fiction film one of for Presti Prize and a Grise Prize of the Jury and was nominated for the Palme d'Or in the Cannes Film Festival, nominated for two Gold Hugos for Best Picture and for two consecutive years. Um, I appreciate the way you read those, <laughs> those uh, award names I because I, I, I saw those and I'm like, yeah, he's, we're going to give that to Dan. <laughs> yeah, thanks, guys. <laughs> so it has the Audience Award and a Golden Train Award for Best at the, For- the Faro Island Film Festival, as well as another for Presti Prize for Main Competition. Yeah, this, this movie oh. got a shit ton of awards, guys. Yeah. And it, a lot of them were really, really, really highly acclaimed awards. So this is a damn good movie when it was released. Yes, and... Even on modern day metrics of how to measure how good a movie is, it has 8.1 stars on IMDb, 95% on Rotten Tomatoes from the critics, 90 from the audience, and this movie only cost a mere 1 million Soviet rubles to make, which is about 829,972 US dollars. We learn something new every day. Soviet rubles. Okay. I thought that was just sir, but I mean, that's <laughs> <laughs> I actually lived in a break before here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, um, from that, I'm going to go ahead and give you guys some interesting facts about the movie. So this is actually based off of a book by Stanislaw Lem, who had a lot to say about the movie. None of it was good. He gave a scathing review saying it was a bad adaptation of his novel and complained that he did not write it about people's erotic problems in space, which I yeah, did not get that, when I watched it at all. That's <laughs> very true. I, did, I noticed that as well. I was like, this, this definitely was a book at one point, because you can tell, but... Yeah, there's also a 1968 <laughs> movie that I, I kind of stumbled across. I don't think it was nearly as... I think it was a TV but, series is what it was. It was a TV was. series? Okay. Yeah. Cool. 
And this is actually one of the most wild, widely seen of Andrei Tarkovsky's films. It's the director of this, obviously from the Soviet Union. Although this is his least favorite. He doesn't like this movie as much as his others. Obviously, they didn't really come out at that time. You know, exporting this, the movies and stuff like that was a little bit harder. The extended scene, I do want to put, point this out. In the beginning when you have Burton and he's going in that car ride and it's a really long, ridiculously long car ride and it has an annoying noise to it and you're like, what's the point of this? <laughs> they did that specifically because they had a hard time getting a license to film out of the country and they did that in Japan. And so they felt like they had to leave it in the movie because they had such a hard time getting out of the country, like getting approval to go out of the country to film there. I actually have another another thing to bring on that point. When they were riding, it didn't even look like they were in the car. You know, like those, right. those classic like CGI like screens that you get nowadays where people, they literally have them in a prop and then everything's moving? That's what it looked like and it was freaking me out. <laughs> I know. I, it, gave me that, it gave me that like same kind of feel to it. When I was watching it, and then when they were actually filming the cars go by, I was like, are they trying to say that these people are in Japan? Because it totally doesn't look like they're in Japan when you go to his house. <laughs> I'll be 100% honest. I didn't even know they were making that trip from Japan to there, but, I mean, that works. <laughs> I mean, I was too distracted by just the 10-minute the, the, the car ride with no <laughs> talking really and a little, bit of, a little bit of back-of-the-head movement every now and then. <laughs> it was like, okay. It was horrible. Just as a heads-up, in the book itself, there are characters that go back to Greek mythology and Rhea, it's not a character that you actually see pop up in the movie. It's related to the Greek god of Oceanus and they, that's supposed to be relating to the ocean and why it has its own hive mind. I feel like a lot of things were lost in translation when it was when it went from the book to the Russian. movie. Yeah. And on top of that, it's subtitled as well. And Russian to English translation is actually very difficult. So if you know Russian, watch it. If not, I mean, you're still, yeah, still going to miss a couple of things regardless. But that, that's why there's <laughs> yeah. so many difficult words to say, like sir, the Soviet ruble. Even that alone got me. <laughs> Alrighty, You guys want to get into the synopsis? Yeah, I could do that. The movie opens with Chris, uh, the main dude character, walking around outside his house when his father comes with Burton, who'd been previously on the space station Solaris and visited the planet that the station orbited. And the pilot is there to show him a video of his explanation on what he saw on the planet. Um, isn't, this, isn't this scene the one with uh, basically the TV that was on for about 15 minutes? Is that it? Yes, it is. At one point, it was a movie. Oh my god, it was ridiculous! Yeah. And then they showed another screen of him showing a video while they were on video while he was watching the TV. I was like, okay, guys. <laughs> but any, anyways, um, basically, the pilot was saying that he saw a giant, odd-looking child that moved in the waves, and what he saw um, was considered to be hallucinations. And the program for Solaris seemed to be stopped or at least paused. And as Chris is now going to the station many years later, just giving like a little backstory as to what uh, what Solaris is for. Um, Burton also reveals to Chris's father that the weird child he saw when going to Solaris was the same child, or looked a lot like um, a child born to a crew member from the station orbiting the planet years later. Now, when Chris makes it to the space station, the place seemed to be deserted and in disrepair. It takes him a bit 
before he finds another person. But I have to share this. The amazing scene where he tripped majestically onto his knees, tied his shoe in anger and frustration, and stood back up dramatically was everything I wanted this movie to be. <laughs> it was such a great scene. Anyways, um, it takes him a bit before he finds another person after tripping and falling. Um, Dr. Snout. Who seems to be missing a few marbles. Basically, you know, he's been on the ship a while. But he did inform him that someone had committed suicide on the ship. And the doctor also warns about the possibility that he may see things other than the other two guys in the ship. And to not lose his head because they're not really on Earth. And things happen when you're in space. His friend who committed suicide in the ship left a video for him. And uh, he watched and went to visit the other man on board. A little person runs out of the room. <laughs> you know... <laughs> I've been trying to figure out, Nadine. I don't really understand the point of that small character. I will explain it to you. Continue <laughs> on with your synopsis. <laughs> I'm just reading parts here. That I'm finally hitting things. That at that point, me and Nadine looked at each other and were like, did we both just see that? Okay. All right. We're not just <laughs> they just pulled some random kid and was like, I got you. You're going to be in our movie. Anyways, his dead wife, Hari, makes an appearance in his room. And he seems to know it's not right, you know, because she's dead. And she didn't seem to realize that there's anything wrong. It's just she's missing memories. And that's where part one ends, which is a very unique place just to slash the movie in half. But part two starts with him sending his wife. <laughs> um, anyway, this dude's a psychologist, and he knew that something was going wrong because it's obviously his dead wife is here, and that just doesn't seem right. And he thinks that, you know, maybe I should just kill her, and that'll solve my problem. So he put her into a what looks to be a missile and shoots her off the space station. And then Dr. Snout confronts him later about it and basically says, you can't do that if you're going to fuck around, just leave. <laughs> <laughs> you're basically right, Nadine. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Anyways, uh, Dr. Snout, during that conversation, let him know that the ocean responds to their radiation experiments by taking memories from their mind and projecting them onto the ship. The things they are seeing are not hallucinations, but actual manifestations of people that they knew, like clones. Um, Dr. Sartorius explains, I hope I said his name right. Yeah, later, me too. Yeah. <laughs> later explains they're made differently and are kind of immortal because, you know, they're not actual people. They're just manifestations. And they put an unnecessary amount of fancy science into this movie, <laughs> um, which is really cool. I'll go into that later. But as the movie goes forward, you see that the being that was made to look like his wife starts to realize she's not actually his wife and asks Chris about the life he had with the actual wife and what happened to her. He explains she killed herself, and they weren't happy, but she seems to love this version of her. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, hey, yeah, um, what was her previous wife like? Yeah, she killed herself. I got an idea. I'm going to kill myself, too. And so she tries it. But she does kill herself, but comes back, and she's more and more human the longer she spends time with them. Um, this is where that like weird romance feature came in, and I'll be honest, Nadine, I struggled through this part a lot. Like all the scenes, like with Hari and stuff, it was just a little difficult. To I understood get why they were in there. They were harder to get through, because 
wasn't like really shown him uh, about him falling in love with her more. It was kind of just like, okay, he's he's in love with her. Yeah, and he I think was, he, he was like, your oh, dead wife, and uh, oh, by yeah. the way, you know, <laughs> she's not dead anymore. <laughs> and now you're in love with her after trying to kill her. It's just like, uh, I I have to hey. say, I, I found that part the most interesting. Just like kind of seeing who trying to figure out was she a clone? Like how much of, was she just like created by the planet? Did the planet have control of her? Like why did she have these memories? I, I don't know. I I like that. Yeah, that I guess when you, out the relationship and when like, you put it like that, it, it does make a lot of sense. But mm-hmm. as the movie progresses, he seems to become sick from giving the planet his memory scan and starts to succumb to the madness that the planet is producing. The other scientists don't seem to be affected because they did not give their memories. And on top of that, I'm pretty sure they were already crazy to begin with. And yeah, after Chris right. wakes up from his <laughs> fever dream, Dr. Snout gives him a suicide note from Hari explaining that she left to keep him alive. She told the other scientists to continue with the Annihilator so she could just, you know, die. She could finally die. Somehow having her around was, you know, was killing her, probably because, you know, he had an emotional attachment to her and it wasn't actually her. Now, once Chris realizes she is dead for good, he goes back to Earth per the assistance of Dr. Snout. And that's at least what it seems like at first before you realize it's literally the same scenes from the opening of the movie just in winter and the water leaking from the the shower in his house shows up everywhere in his house and it's you kind of get the feeling that you know this is probably still a fever dream and he never actually left solaris also the scene where um, the water is just casually pouring on this dude's back his dad's back. He's not even noticing it. I, I, I want to say that's got to be pretty good acting because you know it was cold <laughs> as shit that water was. Oh, yeah. Uh, the other piece of acting that I loved in this movie was the wife. Every time she was resurrected. What do you mean? Like every time she like went from dead to alive again. It just like <laughs> the way she like yeah, her that, eyes back on or like twitched back to life. That's pretty do cool. We, do we know who that actor or the, that actress was? Because I feel like she definitely was more famous than just that movie. I can look up the actress. Hold on. But yeah, I mean, there was definitely a lot of scenes with her that, you know, it wasn't cringy to watch when it was on her. But I don't know about I don't know about Chris though. His actor was a little bit. Um, I'm an artistic college student, and I have a great yeah. idea. Yeah, his his physical acting wasn't the uh, the best. <laughs> it was horrific. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I, I get it, too. It's a 1970s movie in Russia, yeah. and it's a really low-budget film, and probably the person who acted was someone that, you know, they got for a really good deal. So, she became a director, guys. <laughs> he was the director? Same. She was a director. Not of this movie, but she she became a director in, like, 1982. She started directing her own movies. I mean, I guess it makes sense when... Yeah, I could see that. After a movie was, like I, that, that's that's a three-hour-long movie that you were a part of. You're like, okay, I could definitely do better. But, and, and she was in a lot of stuff, but I think all of them are Russian. Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> it's yeah. a Russian movie. <laughs> They're just going to have a random Japanese person or American man in there? Like, no, this is Soviet Union back in the day. John, did you have anything interesting that you, you thought of about the movie? So... I feel like this is a... I do have something to share, and it's this, this part has been sticking out to me. I watched this movie from beginning to end, and really only one scene caught me the most, and it's the iconic final scene where it's panning out, and it turns out that he's still obviously in Solaris. Like, it's, it's still there. 
But the way they did it, and in my opinion, makes this movie. Because it creates a whole can of worms. Because at the end, he's crying when he's hugging his used-to-be father. And he's a psychologist. I feel like they lined it up for everyone to understand that he probably knew he was already lost. And that's why he started getting mad or emotional midway through the movie. More so than anything else. Because he knew that he was already trapped. Or something like that. That You know, that yeah. is what I truly think the movie really boils down to. Is just his sending a psychologist to the space station while all this crazy stuff is happening and him knowing that stuff is going wrong and it shouldn't be that way and struggling to try and fight it but then eventually losing himself in it and himself still being sober about it and understanding that he's lost and he can't escape and then finally just breaking down at the end of the movie. So I think that entire tone was reflected beautifully in the end scene and I honestly can't think of any other movie that's replicated it that well of like a final progression scene to answer all your questions. I thought that was really cool. It was all of my questions and you answered it with one answer for the entire movie. And did you have anything you wanted to say about this movie? Well, piggyback you off that a little bit. I, th- I think between the three scientists on the space station, you kind of get three different ways of, of coping with like the, the thought of losing her mind. The, the one scientist just kind of sticks to science one accepts it, but he, it seems like he just kind of drinks himself to, to like ignore everything that's going on around him, and but like kind of realizes that he's going crazy. Where he, the uh, Chris, just kind of goes full force into it, and how eventually, and how like one of them uh, kind of like tries to recreate what it's like on Earth. Well, that was his friend that killed himself, um, oh. and I explained that to Dan. I actually have a, a slightly different per- perspective on the movie than you do, John, um, and it's. Only because of the uh, some of the iconography that they use in there, uh, they and they have a lot of it. I feel like this um, movie, Nadine, is definitely up to debate on uh, the plot and the oh, yeah. story on where it was going because it's just so open ended. Uh, but sorry, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, no, no, yeah the, so the iconography in there, it, there's a couple different things. You're seeing a lot of religious symbols in there. Mm-hmm. They do talk about Gabarian, who, the one who killed himself, which was his friend, you know, throwing ink at the wall, which is actually a reference, I think, from a book. I can't remember what book, but uh, no, it's not a reference from a book. It's from Martin Luther, who's the original leader, I think, of the Protestants. He chased the devil away by throwing ink against the wall and that's how he did oh, it and i did so they, not I, read it that deep i did not read it that deep <laughs> i had to study martin luther for my history major anyway but that showed up they have at the end this is the end it's a scene from rembrandt's painting uh the, the return of the prodigal son and it's as if he came to that planet and when you see him on earth he is not actually experiencing life he's not happy about life they make fun of him about it they say he's like an accountant who just thinks about the numbers mm-hmm. and he doesn't think about anything else he's not actually enjoying things no one finally gets in the spaceship at first he rejects it and then his emotions kind of take over when he sees his dead wife even though he had a horrible relationship with her i think part of him always felt guilty about it and then it manifests as guilt that turns into a, like a fucked up love for something that's not even really a real person like a and he completely obsession. Inco- yeah. right and he completely yeah, almost- totally loses himself and his mind and the scene at the end when he has that scene from Rembrandt's painting the return of the prodigal son it's as if he found where he was supposed to be and that is why he's breaking down even though he's not knows it's not reality he feels like he has come home so I do agree with your interpretation quite a bit and uh, like when you look into it deep 
Um, when you put all the puzzle pieces together, I still believe that it ends up with the same final um, story objective. When you put it into very simple terms, you know, a, a psychologist went to study. I, I don't know why. I, I think a psychologist went to go, you know, help the two scientists that were there, but ended up losing himself as well in that journey. And I think that just that aspect, I've never really watched a movie like this and sat down and, again, I don't watch cult classics. You guys know this. So I've never actually watched any movies that are really well thought out and, you know, spent a lot of time. You know what I think's a good movie? I think The Martian is a good movie. Okay? It's a good movie. It is a great movie, but when you really think about it, it's not. <laughs> like, the plot is, is horrific compared to this movie. It felt like I was reading a book of the progression of a person who... Uh, was going further and further into this, um, you know, hallucinogenic, and it was really nice. I mean, you could equate the entire movie to the, basically an acid trip, if you want to do it like that, and I think that would work as well. Um, also fair. Dan, what is your yeah. opinion on it? No, I, I think it's it, there's. You could definitely write papers on this movie of like what it says about science, what it says about religion, and what what the different symbols mean. But I, I think ultimately, like. I hate to call it just an acid trip, but yeah, he's he's being he's succumbing to like the the effects of this planet, and eventually it consumes him to the point that he he's spending it seems like the rest of his life on the planet. Yeah, that's kind of it in a nutshell. But like it's it's very interesting, and it I think the my favorite thing about this movie is just the way it was shot. I know those scenes in the beginning were like very artistic out, and drawn, very artistic, but honestly, like that was. I was actually kind of captivated that, and like me and Nadine tried to watch this like three nights in a row. The first night we were just kind of too tired and just like couldn't get through all the Russian and like the long drawn out scenes. The second night, where it's kind of converted from like his scenes on Earth to him going on the space station, like that's when I actually kind of wanted to continue. But I, I think we were just like too tired at that point. But that was a point in the movie that I was just kind of drawn in, just kind of wanted to see what the story yeah. was, how he wrestled with his own mind in, on the space station. All right, I'll, I'll be completely honest, Dan. I had the audio uh-huh. turned off after that uh, that car ride, and that <laughs> I just I just had it muted. Oh, yeah. I, I was 100% watching it with subtitles. Yep. Oh yeah, we we fast forward. We did that. and that's yeah. that's yeah. about the point. Yeah. We just couldn't like, do it. The entire talk. like I, I kept hopping back in, trying to turn the sound back up, and then sudden Russian. I was like, eh, I'm gonna turn that right back down. Yeah. If there's a scene <laughs> that I could take out, it would just maybe not even take out, just like put some different audio on, like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, no. I want to share something uh, that I noticed during the movie. There's a couple. There's this one really iconic uh, moment for me that really stuck out. And of course, yeah. after as I said before, you know, sometimes you get to those scenes that just keep zoning on and on. But this particular scene got me. So when his dead wife resurrected the second time, he put she put her sweater on the same chair but on the opposite end. And there were two of the exact same sweaters on the chair, which I thought was really cool. She didn't even notice that there were two sweaters, but Chris, the next day after they slept together, um, got up and grabbed one and then looked at the other and realized that there were two sweaters there. And he definitely knew that he was still living that fever dream because there's no ways that, that she could have two of the exact same sweaters just on different sides of the chair. I thought that was really cool, Nadine. I, I thought that was... 
like a, a kind of a brilliant choice for them um, because if they hadn't done it like that, he would have thought, okay, you know, this is the same exact uh, you know clone that you know I killed off yesterday, but he figured out okay, so he wasn't lying. The scientist was telling the truth. They come back whether it's the yeah. same one or not. And I think the reason why it's a different one is because he sent the other one off in like a spaceship or a missile. So they explained that the fur that they can't live off of Solaris. They can't go away from the planet or they die. Those beings, those clones, whatever they are. So it went too far. It actually died. So it made a whole new corporal being that looked like his dead wife and it showed him that there's nothing you can do even if you send it away it's just going to come back i I, yes. I thought it was just beautiful the way they did yes. that as well um that scene stuck with me for a while uh because i was just thinking about it i'm like so in i believe in the picture in one of the photos in the beginning of the movie his dead wife was actually wearing that exact sweater outfit that, that exact, that exact outfit and you know, usually when you, I have a pretty, I have an outfit that I love, right? And I only have one of those because I, I'm not like one of those like weirdos from like you know fairly odd parents that have like 70 of the same exact outfit. You know, I'm not like that. I'm not a cartoon, so I have a favorite outfit, and I only yeah, have one of them. So cool. it's just, yeah. it's a really, that's something that if I ever made a movie or tried to write a book, I don't think I'd have the creativity to come up with something like that. That's just yeah, that's out of the blue. I was like surprised and like, okay, that is really, really neat. So I will 100% give this movie just on those two things alone. Even if everything else, in my opinion, was awful, just on those two <laughs> things alone, it has excellent plot and excellent story. There's great drama and it's just in depth. Like you can really get involved in just those two things alone. But I still think there's more. Dan, do you have any more? It just popped in my mind that I, at one point, the uh, one of the other scientists explained that Chris is getting these clones are being manifested by like their dreams and like it makes sense that he would be dreaming about his wife that's in the picture that he saw so like those little connections are just such clever storytelling that makes sense too because there was a bunch of like two minute sleeping scenes in the freaking movie yeah. where it was dramatically yeah. zooming in on his nostrils like I was like okay but it's now, not even just dreaming, though. It's not. They get the memory from his dreams, but when they the, the being manifests, it's his conception of her, which is why I think uh, his concept of his dead wife, because she killed herself, because she really felt like he never really truly loved her, was that she wasn't ever mentally stable. The new being that he has come there, not mentally stable. She comes fully dressed, but with one piece of her clothing ripped where she actually injected herself with his experiments and killed herself and you can see the dot with the needle so his concept of her is his beautiful wife that he may not have really truly loved but he loves this one and it's like a guilt love it's the perfect and, image of her in his memory yeah i thought i remember something about the manifestations of these guests they were created when they were asleep so that's why i don't know i i, I thought i read something about that in the uh russian did you did subtitles, but you okay. gave us like three different uh explanations for them and why they came and exactly how they are but all those explanations were like connected to like yeah explain the full being so i think it was we've been fangirling over this movie for like the past 10 15 minutes and gushing with nothing but good great stuff i want to go over some of the really awful stuff because <laughs> good lord there was a lot so my problem with this with this damn movie is the pacing. For the love of God, it literally looks like, you know, as I said before, and a college student 
in an art class, not a high school student, but a college student, made a great movie, and he's the A, he's the a student in the class. He made a great movie and put it all together, and he's like, this is perfect. And it came out with this freaking three-hour-long mega project that no one really wants to watch. And it's so horribly paced. Like, there's like five-minute scenes of doing nothing but scenery, three-minute scene of walking, a two-minute scene of uh, dramatic expressions while doing something. Like, it's just so horribly paced. But I, I, I also know that, uh, I mean, I was talking... I was talking to my fiance's dad, and he said that, uh, you know, t- traditionally most 1970s movies were paced like that. But I still feel like that could have been so much better. I, I actually somewhat disagree with that because, like, I, I, it's definitely slower paced. But I think they do that pacing and, like, look at the filmography. It's showing the beauty of the world. And then you see in the city where they're on the drive, if you get all the beauty kind of stripped away. Yeah, uh, like if, you, if you do that, you know, it shows the beauty of Earth before you go into, you know, what is supposed to be like a dreamlike state. Yeah. And, but I don't know, man. I still, you cannot convince me that that seven-minute or five-minute car ride with horrible jet engine noises in the background was really needed. It wasn't. They left it in because they actually went to Japan. It was, I think it was in Osaka and Tokyo that they actually filmed those parts. And that's why they left it in, because it was so hard for them to get out of the USSR to get it done uh, and get the permits to do so. You weren't allowed to leave at that time without, like, yeah, it was, a, a it was really the good Soviet reason. Union in the 70s. Yeah. And it wasn't so, a good place. I mean, I think the reason why they ended up keeping it in is because that it took so much effort. And I think it's probably cost a lot of money to do because of how many applications they probably had to put in for it to get to Japan just to film that one scene. So that's why they left it in. Do I agree that it should have been left in the movie? Not really. It's not necessary. I can see their petty upsetness about it. They're like, you know what? We spent probably 50 to 100,000, you know, Soviet rubles on this, so I have to get my uh, my rubles worth. I can see that then, but you know, when it comes from like an actual movie perspective for a viewer, you don't really care about the director's pet peeves, you know. So you don't. there was you about don't there was about forty five minutes of that movie that honestly could have been trimmed out, and the entire movie would have been exactly the same, and there would have been no loss to any of the uh, the suspenseful build up, no loss to any of the drama. Like there would just be bits and pieces of unneeded five-minute segments that are just gone. So I, 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 do, I do agree with you on that, Nadine. I also agree with you on that, Dan, but I just I can't stand it. That, that pacing really got me. That was the worst thing for me. Um, did you really dislike anything, Nadine, or was it just me? Uh, I mean, it's mostly you, John. But <laughs> You know that I'm a petty, like, I'm a Debbie Downer when it comes to the movies, man. <laughs> I always have something to critique about it. I mean, for the most part, I, I absolutely love this movie. I think it was absolutely stunning. It was great for you know, the concept that it gave us. I do believe some of the pacing in the beginning of the movie was uh, a little bit too extra. They had too much they put in, too much time, too much space they put in, um, that they really could have kept smaller and just given us the information that we needed and still gave us you know the beautiful scenery so that you could see the red mm-hmm. contrast between Earth and uh, Solaris and the space station and things like that. Um, however, I do understand that some of it was probably based off like the way they, you know, the artistic way they directed I, things during that yeah. time. Because I think I that's think... like the, a, a 
thing they had in the 70s where that's just how they did the movies. I think I may have come up with a great example of a movie that reminds me, you know, that makes me reminded of uh, this movie a little bit now. Have you guys ever seen Ender's Game? I have not, actually. don't think so. It's a good thing. Ender's Game is a recent movie. Um, and I say recent because, again, we're watching cult classics, so it's not like a 1930s, but like an early 2000s movie that came out that was directly referenced from a book, traditionally. And it's another space one. It's a really cool one. But there's so much lost material when you go from a sci-fi book to a sci-fi movie. They have to condense it and make it more applicable. And a lot of creativity, like you can write like a two-page essay in a book about a specific type of engine and how it works. And they're only going to show the engine just casually running in the background in the actual movie. And you lose a lot of that four-point focus. I think that's what happened with this movie. I really understand the author's, the book um, perspective where he probably, when he wrote this, all of the stuff you see in that movie came directly from the book, but they just kind of plucked pieces out that they liked and kind of mismatched them together. And that's why I think the pacing is kind of weird for me to watch this, because if this was a book, I could completely and entirely understand what they were going for, but not as a movie. Yeah, I was going to say the funny thing about the pacing is it actually does kind of change when you go from part one to part two. It almost like it was done purposely. I don't know if that's the case. But I remember like on our first watch or like when you were watching, it was like, why did they decide to end part two right there? But it does become kind of like an artsy cinematic film film project back to like a, a hardcore sci-fi movie. I think part. they actually did that because the movie was so long and they thought Probably. there was going to be a double release. Like you release one and then you release another as like a sequel to it. But uh, I don't think that actually ended up working out in their favor and they just kind of left the part one cut in and then just stitched the two movies <laughs> together and sent it out. But I'll, I'll just have to email the director. Yeah. <laughs> Email the director from 50 years ago. <laughs> Let me email the director and see what he intended to make the movie like this. <laughs> I'm, probably, I'm not even sure if he could speak English, too. <laughs> I, can, I can learn some Russian. Okay. <laughs> but um, So negative and positive-wise, my ultimatum on the movie, though, is that this is a really, really beautiful movie. Um, but it takes a special kind of palate to enjoy it. Kind of like a whiskey, like a whiskey drinker. Like if you really yeah. like this kind of thing, you will adore it. But if you don't like this kind of thing, and you might enjoy it, but only in small doses. I think it would be a really hard movie for like someone like my dad to get through. I think it'd be a hard movie for it even my mom. Movie for to me get to get through. through. <laughs> yeah, well, you first texted me and you were like, "This is horrible," and I think it was because of the beginning scenes. You didn't like the scenes that he was on Earth, and I think mm-hmm. that's all three of us kind of agree that those. Well, Dan doesn't one hundred percent agree, but I think all of us agree that those scenes were a little too long. Yeah, but Dan's um, weird. They- he, he's not a he's not a great <laughs> example. Sorry, Dan. <laughs> I love you, guys. <laughs> I love you too, Dan. Um, I, I will say, though, that the part one, in my opinion, was a lot better than part two. So at least I can agree with you on that, Dan. Thank you. Do you think it was better? I do think it was a lot better because... Scene-wise or, like, story-wise? I, so I'm not looking at scene by scene. I'm looking at it in a straight line from beginning to end. And okay. for the first part, from beginning to the middle of the movie, 
was very, very smooth and straight. There was no divots. Like, you were learning about it as the character was learning about it. And then suddenly obsessions, and it was really cool. And then it just kind of went a little wonky on part two. I don't know what it was, but, like... The- I think it was done on purpose, though, because he was losing his mind. They all were. Oh, you, they- can't, you can't do this to me because, you know, I'll agree. That sounds amazing. <laughs> Dan, I have one question for you. And then maybe uh, if we need to, uh, Nadine, we might have to move on. Dan, do you yes. think... That Chris kind of looked like Han Solo. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. That freaked I, I, me out. I was trying not to say it the entire time, but it's like the pants, the leather jacket. Bro, literally you know everything looked like Han Solo. And I was like, dude, dude, <laughs> and, and I could see. I, I always looked like the Millennium Falcon. Like, there's definitely, like, George Lucas saw this movie before he did everything with. Uh, or oh, yeah, like, he definitely whatever. did. Yeah. That outfit is almost a one to one. Even the sideburns. Yeah. Even the sideburns are included. I, I just wish wish Han Solo had the uh, the mesh tank top. Okay, that is such a seventies <laughs> thing. <laughs> that actually reminds me of the uh, the outfits chosen in this movie. I am so unsure about it. Uh, they are so spot on, but at the same time, really don't belong at all. And no. I like it just doesn't make any sense. Some of them, but some of them really do. I don't know, man. I'm just. I have so much to talk about with this movie, but I'll, I'm going to stop. I mean, this stop. can be a little bit of a longer podcast. We are actually within time limits to make it like an hour and 15 podcast. So if you wanted to brag on those clothes, because I really want right, to. All right. All right. I'm going to rag. I'm going to rag on some of those clothes. First off, yeah. first off, <laughs> why do the scientists look like they're dressing up for fucking Halloween? Like, I get it. You had an $800,000 budget. I'm sorry, a million um, Soviet rubles. You had that much of a budget, and you probably spent it all on your fancy cameras and your nice little setup. But good God, go to, like, Walmart. I'm not sure if they had Walmart in the USSR. But go to a convenience store and pick yourself up a normal outfit. (laughs) Good God. It was just like they dressed up for everything. Now, I'll tell you what. When I'm sitting at home, Watching TV, you are not going to see me in a freaking suit or a, or a tucked in shirt and shit. Nah, man, you're not going to see me like that. I was just like, oh, I, none of it really makes sense. But at the same time, I also get it because this is supposed to be the future. I was just like, ah, oh, every little bit of that, that was, was aggravating like, me. What their concept of what like someone new is professional and has that many degrees, even for for all of them would like dress up as. Because, so basically like, like a mad scientist from like a, this, like a right. video game. That's what they like literally thought. That's like their concept. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I'm going to forgive them a little bit just because it's, it's, this is late 60s, 70s Russia interpreting the future. So I, I don't know. I, I wasn't right, that You know, if that. we're going to be including it like that, then you can bring up Star Trek and how they literally predicted everything for the future so far. So, and this movie did, too. Yeah, yeah okay, you're right. Except, well. except the talking to your TV. Um, that was weird. Uh, That's I'm, Zoom. That is not Zoom. I have, never zoomed on a, I have never Zoomed on a TV before. People do, though. Oh, and, oh, and the mild uh, the mild sexism was really nice to see as well. Oh, I, I enjoy myself a movie that has sexism where it's like, Barbara, get out. I'm calling my phone. <laughs> oh, and she's like, yes, sir. It just fucking marches away. I'm like, oh, my God. That was like, go ahead, Dan. 
I was going to say, it's worse than the 80s movies we just saw. Okay, we're not going to talk oh, yeah, about the fucking right. 80s movies. And that's the sad part is this is USSR, which everyone in America thinks is horrific, and they work. But in the movie, it's not nearly as racist and sexist at all compared to any American movie. That are from the next decade. Yeah, the decade of acceptance and peace. Uh, but... Oh, getting a little derailed. Um, I would hog it a little bit. Dad, give me a pet peeve. A pet peeve? Oh, man. Uh, not many of this movie, to be honest. All right. I mean, the, I, I said the All right, you scene, old soul. Like, give me something. All right. They, I think I mentioned it already. Like, the, the one car scene where it's just, it's too obnoxious to actually listen uh, we've, to. We've already ragged that one to death. Give me another one, and Dan. Then, <laughs> and, and then the, uh, the, the physical acting of the main Chris actor is just, it's just bad. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I mentioned that. that before, but other than that, I'm trying to think like what. I don't know. Like I'm, I'm forgiving of the special effects just because I. I, I haven't even touched that topic in. this entire time. Graphics, special effects, and camera, um, because for their time period, that was probably the absolute best anyone had seen in a while. So yeah. I'm, I'm gonna forgive 100% of that. Oh, in comparison to nowadays, no, nah, it's like I'm watching a freaking like. Yeah, like 240p video on YouTube. It just looks like absolute dog shite. But you know, in this time, it was really, really good. So I'll forgive it. Um, I, I, I guess really the only pet peeve I had was just at some points, like it was hard to follow who was talking and like the subtitles. <laughs> they all sounded the same. <laughs> Damn. Again, like I, I can't, I can't fault it for being a, a Soviet movie. Like yeah. That's so. that's another thing too. Is yes, um, there's a lot of uh, you could definitely tell there's a lot of Russian stuff in this movie that you just kind of had to excuse simply because yeah. at the time it was the USSR. They were having a rough time already, like the mild sexism, the outfit choices, um, basically the pacing and stuff. I have a feeling a lot of that was related to the USSR at the time and their current movies. And this was probably related to the space race and the fact that, you know, suddenly the way they did this artistic design of a movie was right after um, they had lost the space race to get to, uh, you know, basically yeah. the moon. So I'd imagine that has... Wait, when did, when did we land on the moon? I don't want to speak bullshit. Hold on. Um, uh, this was after. did this was America land after. on Mars? No, that's not... No, no. the moon... <laughs> Why is, is this Christ Google Trump? search? Okay, 1976. Wait, no. Oh, were, it was 1969. 1969. Okay, I'm sorry. So it was right after. after. That probably led to the inspiration of, of a lot for this yeah. movie for the uh, for All right, the people. Dan. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. You are. You okay, are. No, just just one more quick pet peeve. I, I wanted to know more about like how the other scientists hallucinations because you don't you see the one scene where he sees a little. I think it's actually like a, a little person that walks in and out, and then there's the baby. I wanted to see more of what was going on in the, with the other scientists' battle with their own mind and kind of coping with the hallucinations. Yeah, and yeah. I, I can see that. Like, I was actually a little bit more interested in Solaris itself over the mental and emotional capacities of the people trying to study it. But I imagine that'd be a very boring movie if it was like, Discovery yeah. Channel. This is Solaris, but fictional, <laughs> you know? All right. All right. So we are starting to run up close to time. Let's go ahead and decide whether or not this is, in fact, a cult movie. So, John, do you think this is a cult movie? Yes. 
Hundred percent. Um, this is a massively appreciated movie with its targeted audience. It's earned awards. It's done really, really well, but not a lot of people know of it. And even now, like this is a movie that I saw and I wanted to watch because of the name, nothing more. So, and I, there's definitely still a following for it. So this is absolutely a cult classic in my definition. What about you, Dan? What do you think? Yeah, I don't have any way to, to like. Say that this is not a cult classic. I mean, it's. I don't like it. Therefore, it's not a cult classic. <laughs> no, it's it's not even just the fact that I like it more. It's it's just the fact that like it, it wasn't widespread like pop culture when it first came out. It got a lot of notoriety by critics. It kind of like kept itself alive on its own merits, and I think it's a perfect uh, example of a cult classic. It is a it is by far. I agree with you, Dan. A shining star example of a cult classic. Nadine? I I totally agree with you guys. I think it's a whole classic. It's, like you said, John, it's one of those movies that maybe not everyone knows about, but definitely hits its target audience, and they are still talking about it, and it clearly influences films um, that are sci-fi today. With Dan and Star Wars, you know, he loves his Star Wars, but there's also other ones. You, you can see it even in the sci-fi TV shows. I bet you you could even see like it in Space some Odyssey books. as well. I think this one gave yeah. a direct inspiration to Space Odyssey, one of the most known space cult classics. So It's 2001 A Space Odyssey that came before this movie, actually. And uh, they thought that this movie was an inspiration for that, but he had actually never seen it before. And then when he finally got around to seeing it, he didn't like it. <laughs> The director. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> All right, Nateen, you can go to the next section. <laughs> All righty. Uh, so from there, let's go ahead and rate this movie. So, John, what would you rate this? I would like to go last, please. <laughs> I, would, <laughs> okay. I would like to go last, please. I'm not ready to be rating this movie. I have to decide. <laughs> okay. Dan, what do you think? All right, I'm going to – this gets uh, – if you have been able to tell, like, I like this movie, I will give it a solid – Eight. Ooh. I I really Ooh, like uh, dog. Eight. Yeah, eight. I I really like uh, your analogy, like how this is like a fine whiskey, like or a scotch, Sean, because um, it's it's something that if you really like it, you're gonna enjoy. This, this is really deep sci-fi. Or um, if you don't like it, it's gonna seem like every other 1970s attempt at a sci-fi movie. And that's what I mean. Like it's it, if you like whiskey, this is this is gonna be right up your alley. You just have to keep that warning that you can't do this one all the time. It is three hours, almost three hours long. <laughs> yeah. um, you will, you will not, suffer if you watch this more than once. <laughs> it's not the movie you're going to watch on like a Friday night right before you're about to go to bed or, or something. But like if you just want some like good deep sci-fi, this is this will this will hit you in the right spot. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, it tickles the solid. itch for sci-fi. Solid yeah. 8 out of 10. We'll do that. All right. So for me, I would say it's a solid nine. <laughs> I actually really love this movie. Um, so I, I, the reason why I think it's a solid nine is because I think, especially for its time, it really did a lot of great things for it. The pacing wasn't that great, but the pacing in a lot of 1970s movies is a little bit slower. The acting, for, well, almost overall, it, it's a lot better. It's really great. Um, Considering, even the, and you have to add in, on top of that, Nadine, the budget. Yeah, the, the budget, budget was literally nothing, and they crafted this out of almost nothing. So <laughs> keep that in mind, too, because that, that 100% makes me agree with you on those two points. All right. 
here is mine. Um, I am struggling very hard with this. I watched the movie, um, and the part of me that fell in love with Star Wars and really enjoys watching those movies is begging me to rate this a 10. But the part of me that is a millennial and has only seen ever so many um, sci-fi movies, you know, because that's just what we watch nowadays, really doesn't like this at all. Like, maybe a two or a three. So, I'm going to give... I can't do two ratings, can I, Nadine? (laughs) Give me this. No. This movie, in my opinion, if this was taken specifically from the artistic and literal sense, like space and everything that it applies for, I don't think, honestly, I could find a better movie to really show just the art side of, uh, of movies because this is just a, this, this is one of those movies I can 100% understand from a critic point of view how this is a 90, 91% plus on, a, on sites that actually rate these movies because this is literally everything you ever want to look for in a movie. There's story, there's character's growth, there's romance, there's drama, there's sci-fi. It's, it's literally packed pull, and it's, it's almost perfect. Um, on the other hand, the outdated, because it's outdated, it makes it very, very hard to get into it. And I feel like the people at the time enjoyed this movie a lot more than the people now do. I didn't really enjoy it as much as I should have, so I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. And I'm going to cut it right in between pretty fucking generous for you so that is very <laughs> generous i struggled a lot originally i was going to give it a six out of ten in fact now i'm actually rethinking it but i'm still going to give it a seven out of ten <laughs> but the reason why i didn't drop the to a six is because the way that they made this movie so open-ended regardless of all of its flaws makes you come back and rethink the movie many many more times when i watched the movie i thought it was cool now that we're talking about it, you guys are going to fucking make me watch the movie again now because I just want to see it. I just want to re-see it again. So thanks for that. There goes another part of my, you know, my Sunday. But okay. this is definitely worth a 7 out of 10 rating. So for anyone who knows me at this point, you know that I am very critical of movies. And this is probably one of my, one of my favorites. Alrighty, so let's go ahead and tell everyone if we would recommend this movie, and I'm pretty sure I know everyone's answer to this, so John, go ahead and let us know. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. What? I would not recommend this. I want to keep it to myself. It's mine. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's not a real answer. <laughs> it isn't a real answer. Of course I'd fucking recommend this. Um, yes, yes, this movie. Freaking watch it. If you haven't heard me rant about it for the past hour, watch the damn movie and appreciate it for yourself. So, yes, we recommend it. Yep. Okay. I, yeah. I will second that. I recommend it. Uh, I'll give you the warning. It's a little slow in the beginning, but once you get through the, through the, uh, I guess, the airport or the traffic scene. <laughs> if you get through the airport. Well, you got to land first. Yeah. And once you get home, yeah. you can watch the movie, but... You know, you can yeah. probably watch it on the plane as well, as per Dan. <laughs> yeah, look, watch this movie. This is a great movie. Nadine. Um, yeah, I totally would recommend this. All right. I do want to mention one last thing about this movie before we probably need to start wrapping up. Don't you agree, Nadine? Yeah. This movie, I watched it in one sitting. This, I actually think this is a more of a movie that you need to kind of like sip it a little bit and actually use the part one and part two. 
for what it's intended because for the love of God, in the last 30 minutes, I was struggling, struggling to keep focused. Yeah, that's why I don't take a shot of scotch. I feel, really you know, you know, <laughs> talk about a movie here and he keeps going back to alcohol. We know what's going on Dan's mind tonight. Um, <laughs> fucking shot of scotch. It is, it's a sip, it's a movie you take in doses. Um, I really wish I had watched it. I'm going to watch it again to reappreciate it once more. But I really wish I'd split up the time, maybe got up and stretched a little bit. Because the last time I've watched a three hour movie was when I watched Lord of the Rings. And I actually didn't like Lord of the Rings, but, you know, teach their own. So, I mean, that's pretty much it for this podcast. Uh, really? For this episode of podcast. Yeah. Oh, I was enjoying <laughs> this, guys. No. no we're done, John. Done. This is unique. Come on. I was, all right, I got scammed with the last two, but I actually felt some satisfaction <laughs> from this day. So come on now. Well, and next week, you're going to feel some more satisfaction. Next week is my pick, and it's the fourth episode no, of the month, no, just, so I am picking a movie that is not going to be on the list. It's going to be Scott Pilgrim versus the World. And, John, you already said you like this movie. Sorry, but you know what? You said that you liked it, therefore I'm probably going to dislike it. So I'm going to make sure I rate that down to a three. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Alrighty, guys. Um, do you guys have anything else that you want to uh, tell them before we go ahead and sign off? My Sorry rating's the best rating. Ignore Dan. All right, go ahead, Nadine. <laughs> All right, okay. <laughs> oh, man. All righty, guys. So uh, if you have anything that you want to say about this movie, go ahead and, you know, join our Facebook group. It's She's on a Slut Yet with stars over the L-U-T in Slut. Um, send us messages if you have any suggestions for movies in the future. Or if you have anything you just want to talk to us about with the movie that we may have gotten wrong, because um, you're a huge fan of it. Uh, you can also Please don't come after us. me. That, you just gave a really risky statement right there, come Nadine. After John. Don't come do it, after guys. John. <laughs> at she's not a no. slut yet at gmail.com. <laughs> Do not come after me. I know. I know. My ratings are very, very harsh. But I have high standards. <laughs> okay. All right. Whatever. I'm going to get roasted for this. Totally. Um, outside that, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. And we will see you next week so we can go ahead and review Scott Pilgrim versus the world. All right. Have a good one. <laughs>